Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Anchor Church podcast. It is our desire at the Anchor to provide a place for you to know God, find freedom, discover your God-given purpose, and ultimately make a difference in the world around you. Each week, the Anchor podcast features Sunday sermons. To hear this live and before subscribers do, join us in Rockport, Maine on Sunday mornings at 10 for worship and before that at 845 for prayer service. You can follow along in this podcast episode and read the sermon notes on our website by visiting theanchor.me. Now, let's get into the Word. So, Father, we thank you for today. Lord, we thank you so much, God. We're so grateful for what you're doing, God, in this church, in the Anchor Church. Lord, we're so thankful just for the way that you've been moving in our lives. And, Lord, we, we just acknowledge today, God, that you don't reveal what you don't heal. And so, Lord, you reveal things because you want to heal things. And so, Lord, we just invite the Holy Spirit to come today. And once again, if there's anything that's remaining there, maybe, maybe somebody missed the past few weeks, or maybe they're, they're kind of even lost at this moment, if you can kind of bring them up to speed. But, Lord, if you, if you could uh, just reveal stuff that's in our life, God, that you want to heal us of, God, it would be fantastic. God, that you would come and just confront any lies of the enemy we believed. Lord, that you would reveal your truth to our hearts. And uh, once again, Lord, most importantly, God, that you would displace, that you would displace, God, any orphan thinking, any orphan behavior, any bit of an orphan heart that's in us. And God, you would help us to, to walk in sonship, walk in daughterhood. God, just walk in our rightful place and our rightful identity and who you are. So Lord, we bless you today. Thank you for your anointing. Thank you for your power. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, l- listen, this morning, I, I kind of want to take a different approach, and, and it's simply this. I, w- I want to I take a second, just kind of share my story of how God began to reveal to me that I was operating from an orphan heart, because if you're anything like me, maybe the last few weeks, you didn't even really know that was there. You know, you, we get so caught up, and we just live life, and, and we don't realize kind of what's in us, but, but I want to share with you today, once again, just a piece of my story, how God began to not only show me, once again, that I was operating from an orphan heart, but he began to say, hey, son, Here's sonship. Here's what I want you to walk in. And so today, I just kind of wanted to take you down that journey. Hopefully, it's okay. Hopefully, a piece of my story can help some of you guys. But I believe it'll be life-changing. So anyways, remember this. Remember we said that, that every single person is born with an orphan heart simply because Adam and Eve, we know they exchanged an orphan heart in the garden. Or sorry, they, they exchanged sonship for an orphan heart in the garden when they sinned. But we also said this, that how deep that orphan heart takes root in a person's heart or person's mind is determined in many ways by how they are raised. And we also said this, that it's not enough for a parent to have loving feelings for their children. Those feelings must be communicated. They must be expressed in a way that is meaningful and easily comprehensible to a child. So kind of with those two statements in mind, let me say this. I think like most of you guys, you know, growing up, man, I had some really awesome time with my parents, had a lot of meaningful moments with my parents, had some really fun times with my parents. And and I think deep down, you know, if I could kind of get through the mess, I, you know, I really knew my parents loved me and I really knew that they, that they wanted what was best for me in my life. But the truth is, is they did a really poor job of expressing it. So, you know, if I can maybe say it this way, that while they may fulfill the role or the title of mom and dad, they didn't succeed too well in, in the essential pieces of, of what those uh, God-given roles really entailed. 
And, and so like I told you last week, you know, listen, I grew up with a mom, you know, that was not a naturally nurturing woman. She, I mean, she just did not have, a, you know, a nurturing heart about her. And so obviously because she wasn't real nurturing, she didn't really express love in a real free way. She never said, I love you. She never said, I'm proud of you. You know, she wasn't affectionate. She didn't, in other words, my mom wasn't the, the huggy kind of woman. She didn't, you know, I didn't sit and cuddle with my mom on the couch. You know, she, she just, she just did, didn't demonstrate care in a physical way. The only way that she demonstrated stuff in a physical way was practice the old bowling swing, right? And so anyways, but, but you know, with my mom, the, because of kind of just who she was, she always lived frustrated. She always lived like, man, she had a short temper, extremely impatient. And because she was uh, always frustrated, anytime she would speak, the tone of her voice was always just angry. It was always demeaning. It always made you feel like just like garbage. And so, you know, the funny part was, is because she was so angry, I say funny part, but you get what I mean, because she was so angry, anytime I messed up, there wasn't a whole lot of grace and mercy, it was always just quick to punish. You know, there's a difference with when you're kids, you can punish them, but but that's also a teaching moment. My mom didn't understand the teaching moment behind that of, hey, let me teach my son how to do it better. She was just inconvenienced, and so now she had to just whip me out of anger, and now let's move on, Right? And, and the funny part is I'm sitting back, even this morning, we're praying, and, I, and I'm just like, man, uh, I realized once again why my mom was that way. She was almost a spitting image of her dad. And in fact, they, they called my grandfather, his name was Royce, uh, but they called him Red Eye. And they called him Red Eye because he lived angry. He was basically a, a, a depressed drunk that was always mad. And, and so what happened was, is here comes my mom. And even though she, she's, you know, never, never drank, but she was so much like him in personality. They actually, even to this day at 62 years old, they call her Baby Red. So I grew up with Baby Red, right? And so on the flip side, you know, obviously my parents, like I said, uh, you know, last week, basically divorced when I was a month old. But but what happened was, is that then on the other, other side, you got my dad. And my dad was basically just super immature. And, and, and truth is, he was basically a big old kid trying to raise kids, and he was pretty selfish. You know, because he was really about himself, he wasn't super firm. He wasn't super encouraging. You know, he, he never really, once again, pulled me aside like a dad should and said, okay, son, th- this is how this works. Let me show you something. I got this dad that's an amazingly gifted man, but he never, he never said, okay, let me impart what I know to you. There was no teaching, no leadership that was there. And if I can maybe say this, it's like, you know, even this week sitting back and just thinking about stuff, you know, I got, uh, you know, basically he had, I have four brothers, but, on, but I have one on the other side. I have, anyways, it's complicated. But there was four of us over there, right? And, and so here it is, my, my dad, he spent all this time because his passion's football. And so what he would do is he, you know, he coached uh, my other three brothers on that side, was very involved, went to their football games and all that. And I was just thinking, man, you know, this week, I, I think my dad went to one game I ever played in. And, and, you know, part of that, I think, was basically because of his, because of his work schedule. And so he gets a pass there. But, but I think the thing that bothered me the most as a teenager, because, right, once again, you know, you're a kid. You want dad's approval, right, is that, is that dad, he never showed in interest in what I was interested in. In other words, it would have been different. He said, sorry, son, I can't be there. But, man, how did your game go? Never asked. Right, so it was just like I was doing my old thing, and once again, he was just kind of doing his old thing. So, so I think basically growing up is, is once again, I maybe maybe it's just me, but I think out of the four boys, I felt like I was always the odd man out. 
And, and part of that, I think, was because of my age, because uh, there was an age gap between the two older ones and then an age gap between the younger ones. So I was kind of that middle kid. But, but, but I think part of it had to do is because, once again, I had heart problems, so I, couldn't play, so I couldn't play football. I couldn't go to work with him. So all the things that my other brothers got to engage in, my dad's world, what he liked, I was just, you know, whatever. I, I was left on the outside. So I grew up basically feeling like dad was disinterested. And, and basically that, you know, I, I just felt like dad was rejecting me, to be honest with you. And so, you know, as any kid, when they don't feel like they're loved and when they're, you know, or, or accepted, what happens is they try to go find that elsewhere, right? And so, you know, the wild part was, is I sat back even this week and it was weird because, because once again, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm in this world praying, studying all this stuff and stuff's coming up and, 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 you know, stuff that I almost, truthfully I forgot about, but, but I actually remembered this week a time where when I was in the 11th grade, and, and I, I used to love basketball. Man, I, I, I'm just like too white and too short, but, man, I love basketball. Man, oh, my white man can't jump. I can jump a little bit, used to. But, but anyways, I love basketball. One day, I, I was in 11th grade. I was in gym class, and I was playing basketball with my friends, and, and my heart started hurting really bad. And, and I remember I started having chest pains, and I mean, like, really, really painful chest pains. And, and, it, and so much so, first of all, that never happened to me before, but it really just scared me. And, and part of it, if I'm being honest, is, is I was adventuring in some uh, extracurricular activities that, that I shouldn't have been involved in, and it scared me because I thought it had to do with that. And so, anyway, so I, I did what any kid would do. I, I said, man, can I go to the office? I want to call my mom. Because once again, here I am, I'm 11 years old, uh, you know, 11th grade, 16 years old, and I'm just scared. And so I called my mom at work and said, mom, here's what's going on. And, and mom basically got aggravated with me. And, and then she, you know, I don't know, she just got ticked off like she normally did. And she came to the school, and I remember I was sitting there in the office waiting on my mom, and my mom walks in the door, and you're expecting, you know, your mom to have uh, compassion with the fact that, man, I'm scared, I'm hurting. And, and my mom comes in, and, and all she does, she just starts screaming at me. It starts fussing me out. And I think what was so embarrassing about it was, uh, you know, it wasn't, now it wasn't just me at home and mom screaming. Now it was classmates were seeing my mom say that to me. And I remember at 16 years old, just walking away, from, you know, in that moment of her just once again sitting there in the, in the lobby of our school, I just remember thinking, man, my, my mom really doesn't care about me. And uh, not only does she care about me, you know, I'm just, I basically, I felt like I'm a big old inconvenience. And so, you know, it was so funny, and on the flip side, I, you know, I remember the time with my dad where really a petty thing happened. Basically, um, spare you the details. Something happened, and my dad didn't like it. Me and my, one of my brothers had an agreement. We were fine. My dad didn't like it because it was a selfish thing. He wanted something. And so I ended up, once again, I think I was, I might have been 17 at the time. I wrote a letter to my dad, and I confronted my dad. Here's, here's the way you make me feel. Here's the way you're acting. And here's boom, 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 boom. Wrote a letter, and, and I basically, he came to, I lived with my grandmother, and he, and he came to the house, and I wasn't there. But I, so I, I put it beside the thing that he wanted, and I put the, the letter in with it. So I know he got it because he took it. And, uh, and I think the thing that bothered me the most is I think I would have handled a lot better if he would have maybe got upset and, and hollered and screamed at me uh, for writing him that letter. But the fact that he never said a word hurt me even more. Because, what, because for me, it made me feel like he didn't even love me enough to talk with me about it. Am I making sense, you guys? So, so you know, I, I remember actually being 20 years old, and kind of, you know, summarize this, but, 
But, you know, mom was mom. Once again, like I told you last week, I, I gave her a pass. And thank God that she's way different today. Thank God my dad's way different today. Uh, so this is years ago, not a reflection of who we are today. But, but I remember one time saying at 20 years old, uh, after a long list of disappointing events of my dad, I, I remember actually saying out loud, I felt it for years in my heart, but I remember the moment like it was yesterday, uh, sitting outside of Seattle, Washington, uh, basically on a big old elevated platform about 20 feet off the ground to a guy. We've been throwing water balloons at kids because that's what you do when you're in youth ministry. And, and, I, and, I, and I told the guy, I said, listen, man, I don't care. His name was Jeffrey Portman. I said, Jeffrey, I don't ever care if I see or talk to my dad ever again. And that's what I honestly felt because what, all, all it was, I finally admitted, man, I've now shut my father off from my heart. I don't care if I ever have a relationship with a guy again. And, uh, and that was, um, yeah. Anyway, so I say all that to say this, not to have a pity party. That's the last thing I want. You, you know, I'm just saying it to bring context to what I'm talking about here. That's the only reason I'm mentioning all that. Yeah, obviously there's a lot more, but we'll just leave it at that. But, but, but I think this, that like so many kids, I grew up extremely unsure. I'd say like a lot of you, some, maybe some of you in this room, I, I grew up really unsure if I was really loved and accepted by the two people that I needed from the most. And, and so what, what happens is, once again, I say all that to get to this point, is what happens is, is when you grow up in a world like that, it begins to uh, create a habit structure of thinking, a stronghold basically in your mind, and basically what happened was is that stronghold or that belief system that I had in my head simply told, I told myself this, well, something must be wrong with me. In other words, something must be broken in me if, if this is the way my, my parents see me. But, you know, there's a little point here, if you want to jot this down, that, that guilt says that we did something wrong, but shame says I am wrong. That guilt says we did something wrong, but shame says I am wrong. And so what was so wild is I knew Jesus forgave me. You know, that wasn't, uh, you know, all the stupid stuff that I did as as a teenager running for counterfeit affections. I knew God forgave me for that. But I think the thing that that got me the most is I couldn't get over the shame that meant something must be wrong with me. And, and so what happens is, is obviously that, that thinking is, is not, uh, you know, it's not demonic by any means. But what it, what it does do is when you got that kind of thinking, it, is it, it basically opens up a door for the enemy to have influence in your life, basically to, to affect you in a negative way. And that's why so many of us can be, once again, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years old and still struggle with negative thinking. And the reason is, is because, yes, even sometimes going all the way back to when we were kids, there's been a negative uh, belief system and uh, you know once again orphan thinking a stronghold has taken up residence in our mind and it's really hard for us to get over it we can even love jesus with everything that's in us but yet we keep doing what and you know i keep mentioning this my orphan thinking bumps into his orphan thinking and bumps into his orphan thinking and we have issues in fact i'll say this probably the the greatest issue in marriage is is orphan thinking because because once again when you said this it it it, uh it push the button of my insecurities and my hurt and my pain, and now I'm going to respond to you out of that hurt, and now I'm going to hit your spot, and we have conflict, right? So what happened was, once again, is when you get this stronghold in your mind, I did this. So even though I became a Christian in my late teens, that, that belief system was firmly, and I mean firmly, in place. And so I believe this, that, that if my parents didn't really love me, how could God and I believe, man, if, if, if my parents were angry at me, then why wouldn't God? Surely God's angry. If, if mom's angry, then surely God is too. 
And I thought this, man, if, if, if my parents weren't patient with me, then why would God be patient with me? And so what happened was, is here I am trying to grow in the faith, a young believer, and I am so hard on myself. Why? Because I feel like God has no patience with me. Why? Because my parents never had it with me. Can't you get it right? Right? <laughs> Bring home a, a really, really bad report card. Right? And, and all it is is, uh, here we go, another whipping. Let's go. Right? So, so what happens is, once again, I'm thinking, man, if, if, if my parents were quick to punish me, then certainly every time I mess up, God's going to punish me too. And, and so, you know, here I was, you know, Christian for years and years and years, and, and even a pastor for years and years and years, and the whole concept of grace and mercy just did not land. Didn't get it. And so here it is. I'm sitting there, you know, once again, if, if my parents spoke to me harshly, then surely God's going to speak to me harsh as well. So I almost looked for all the harsh moments with God. And it's almost like that, that's what I needed. And, you know, once again, people say it, but the reality was is my view of God was here's this guy. Once again, I'm not trying to be cute and cliche, but here he is. He's, he's, he's upstairs and he's angry and he's just waiting for me to mess up. And that's my interaction with him. It's built around mistakes. It's built around, oh, God, I'm a sinner. I'm unworthy. All of that mess, right? And so what happens is, once again, I thought, man, if my parents uh, weren't interested in me, if they didn't support me, if they didn't believe in me, then why would God? Even, even to this, and this sounds so silly, but I remember being uh, 19 years old, sitting at the, the dining room table with, with my mom and my stepdad and one of my friends, and my mom uh, kept going off on me of going, uh, if this ministry thing doesn't work, what's your backup plan? You know what I heard? My mom doesn't believe I can do this. Right? And I just sit there, Mom, there is no backup plan. Once again, they're not, they're not Christians. They, they didn't understand responding to the call of God on your life. And so, once again, but all that did is heap on again, man, that my, my parents do not believe that I can be successful in life. Right? And so, anyway, so once again, it's like if, if they didn't believe I could be successful, was God really for me in this thing called ministry? So... My point is this, as I did what so many people do, I ended up projecting my relationship with my parents onto God. Whatever my relationship with my parents was like, then that must be what my relationship with God's like. So, you know, the outcome of that negative belief system was this, is that, is that if something is wrong with me, then God can only love me if. Then God can only love me if then guess what, then, then, then if, you know, if God's going to love me, then, then I'm going to have to, to jump through enough of the right hoops, the right Christian hoops. It, you know, it, you know, if, if you know, God can love me, if I check enough of the right Christian boxes, and, and if I can do all the things that he's asking me, then maybe, just maybe, God will love me and accept me. And, and so if I can maybe give you a verse that would describe, and it's kind of almost comical, but describe you kind of where I was at, it was, it'd be Luke 18. And, I, and I'm talking about like 15 years into Christianity. This is where I lived. It says this, it says, then Jesus told this story. It says in verse 10, kind of fast forward there, it says, uh, Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not like, that, uh, like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like the tax collector. I fast twice a week and give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even to lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh, God, be merciful to me, for I'm a sinner. Now, what's so unique about this is I feel like I was those two guys. 
Meaning I was both. It's almost like I felt like the tax collector on the inside. I'm unworthy. I'm basically nothing but a piece of trash. But on the outside, I was outwardly trying to earn God's approval through the Pharisees' methods. God, I checked that box. God, I checked that box. God, I prayed really long today. God, I read a lot of the Bible today. God, do you know I fasted three days this week? That, that literally, I remember when I, when I first started preaching... I would literally fast from Monday to Wednesday. I'd fast three times every time before I preached. Three days. I said three times. Three days. Didn't eat anything. Drink water. Basically for three days before I preached because I wasn't sure if God was going to anoint me or not. <laughs> right? And so, so anyways, so here's how I kind of masked this, okay, for years. And, and I think this is the, the way that I justified all that stuff that was going on inside of me. And it's through this verse right here. And, and it almost came my mantra. But it was 2 Corinthians 5.9 says this, says, therefore we make it our aim. I love this verse. Therefore we make it our aim, our goal, our target, our purpose in life, whether present or absent, to be what? To be well-pleasing to him. I, I cannot tell you how much power those two words had, to be well-pleasing. And, and the truth is, man, is I, I, I honestly, I don't know how many times I prayed this scripture. I've probably prayed this verse more than any Bible verse, maybe outside of Proverbs 3, than, than any other verse in the Bible. And what happens, the reason I say that, is because I would probably sometimes pray this verse 50 times a day. And, and, and I would simply ask this, Father, I ask you, and I'd quote the scripture, in the name of Jesus, help me to live a life that is pleasing to you. God, I make it my aim, I make it my goal, I make it, God, to live a life well-pleasing to you. And, and then one day when I was praying that prayer, it, it was like, uh, man, I don't know, you know what number of time it was that day praying it, but it was like the Lord interrupted. He broke into my prayer. And, and he began to show me basically that the words of my prayer weren't necessarily incorrect, but the motivation uh, behind what I was praying was definitely incorrect. Do you get that? That, that, that my words were okay, but my motivation was wrong. And so while, you know, Father, I ask you in the name of Jesus to help me live a life pleasing to you or coming out of my mouth, my heart was really saying this. God, when I leave this prayer closet, help me to do the things that I need to do and not do the things I shouldn't do. In other words, help me jump through the right hoops, help me check the right boxes. So that why? So hopefully by the end of the day, I will somehow done enough to do what? To please you. And hopefully after all of that, uh, you know, everything I've done, everything I've performed for, then hopefully you will accept me and please me. So it was almost like I lived in this rat race that every day, if you can imagine, at the end of the day, running to the Father and going, okay, God, God did I do enough? Did I do enough? Did I do enough? And then God goes like this. Uh, you know, you messed up there. You got angry there. and you, Nope, not today. And so it's like running. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then some days, hey, I did good, I did good, I did good, woo right? I did good, right? And I would preach, and I would think this, man, service went good today, I must have did it right. And then days service didn't go well, and I'd go, I must have sinned, I must have failed. Didn't, I didn't check the right box, right? And so what happened was is this, is that my, my view of what really pleased God was so wrong, it was absolutely wrong. And so what happened was, is because it was wrong, I was unknowingly, and I do stress this, because I, I obviously I wasn't doing this intentionally, but I unknowingly was doubting the loving character and the loving nature of God. I was doubting if he really loved me unconditionally. And, and so, but, but what happened was, is it all bowled back, once again, rewind, why, why, why was all that there? It's because, once again, I did not feel like I was lovable, plain and simple. 
right? And so what happened was is because I didn't feel lovable because I was down the nature of God. Instead of walking in this love relationship with God that we've all been invited to, for years I lived out of what you would call a fear-based relationship. It was all based off fear. In other words, it was based off fear where I had to once again perform, perform. I stress that enough, perform, to perform, to earn God's love. And the biggest problem with that is this, is that performance is always motivated by fear. Always. It's always motivated by fear. And so the wild part is, is that, you know, intellectually I knew that, yeah, that's not right. Because First John tells us that perfect love casts out or it drives out all fear. Aren't you thankful for that? So but here's what happened. So, so, when, so God said, okay, what you're praying, son, is wrong. Now let me take you over here. Let me show you another verse. And, and let me begin to open, open your mind here a little bit so you can see things a little bit different. Once again, this is just my story in this. But here's what God showed me. I, I had read this scripture, preached on this scripture, but I'd never seen this until the light came on. This is Matthew chapter 3. It says this. It says, And Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. Fast forward to verse 16. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And and here's what got my attention. It says, And suddenly a voice, it was the Father speaking, came from heaven saying, This is my beloved what? This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Now, get in perspective, that's what I've been chasing for years. Can you be pleased with me, God? And here he is, he says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And in my mind, just like many of you guys, I go, well, that was just Jesus. And then Father said this to me. He said, hey, um, Quentin, why was I pleased with him? And so what I do from a performance-oriented mind, I went down. I said, was it because he was a great teacher? Was it because he healed people? Was it because he delivered and set people from demons? Because he raised people from the dead? Was it because he fed the multitude, walked on water, saved the world? And guess what I realized, man, that it couldn't be any of that because Jesus hadn't done a single one of those things yet. In other words, he hadn't performed yet. And so I sit back and I, and I just went, you know, once again, okay, Jesus hasn't done any of that. But yet here's the Father saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So again, why was the Father pleased with him? And here's the hope. It's simply this, that God wanted me to see that Jesus pleased the Father because he was simply his Son. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God, right? That, that is like this, that nothing more, nothing less. He didn't earn it. He didn't perform for it. He only had to do this. And here's for all of us. He only had to receive it. That's what I didn't understand. And the reason is, once again, when you're raised, that once again, that, that, that love is not freely given and freely received. I just couldn't believe it, that he really loved me. Right? And, and I struggle with, you know, get this, that on top of that, not only did he love me, he really likes me. But when you don't like yourself, that's really hard to believe. Yeah? So I feel like here's, you know, really the point that he wanted me to see that in spite of everything that my parents did or didn't do, guess what? Once again, I, I know it's a broken record, but man, that he loved me, he accepted me, and he was pleased with me simply because I'm his kid. Not a slave, because that's the mentality I lived from for years, but I was his kid. And, you know, to remember, John 1.12 simply says this. Once again, those who have received Jesus is given the right, the authority to become children of God. 
There's many verses that say that. But, man, we are, we are the family of God. We're his kids. And, 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 you know, once again, it was changing in that thinking that, uh, once again, that, that, man, guess what? I have a seat at the table. Oh, my gosh. Right? Better yet, I got a seat in Papa's lap. Right? Instead of, instead of always my mentality for years that I had to, what would you like now, God? What would you like now, God? What do you want me to do now, God? Running around like I was some kind of waiter in the room. Right? Some servant. Go off now. Go do that. <laughs> but, you know, I want us to think maybe real quick, if I could hit pause on the story and go to a verse real quick. I want us to think about a verse. Romans 5.8. It says this. It says, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this while we were still what? Think about this. When we were sinners, we didn't do jack to earn God's love. But yet he freely gave it to us. So the question is, is so why do we feel like we have to earn it now? Isn't that crazy? That, that, that I felt like that, that in, the, in the midst, and there's some people in here, man, we, we, were, we were great at sinning, right? And, and God could reach down in our professional sinning, right? And he could go, man, let me extend my love to you. And then he pulls us out, and then we think that now that free grace that we were given, that now somehow we got to work to somehow get it. Amazing. Unpause. Hit play. Here we go. Then, so, so, we, so we went to Matthew 3, and he said, hey, I want you to see something else. I want you to go over to Luke chapter 2. Once again, a verse I preached on, oh, man, I don't know how many times. And, and to kind of set this up in Luke 2 is here's Jesus. He's 12 years old. And, and we know that, you know, as was custom, they go, to, uh, they go to Jerusalem and they go through all the proceedings, right? Do all the religious stuff that they do every year. And, and then Joseph and Mary, they head on down the road. And we know that Jesus uh, didn't go with them. So we know basically, long story short, three days later, they come back. And, they, and Mary goes, why did you do this to us? Right? We, we were scared. We were nervous. Where, where would you go? And Jesus' beautiful response was this. And he said to them, why do you seek me? Do you not know that I must be about my father's business so why did he bring me here it's because this because knowing i was a son was only half of the equation don't miss that because knowing your son is only a half of the equation so what he wanted me to do is he wanted me to see how he desired for me to view him in other words one part was is quentin here's how i need you to view yourself but now we got to rewind now i need you to to view me in a different way and so, he, so basically this, that he wanted me to see that he was my father that loves me unconditionally and not as some taskmaster that I have to work to please. So once again, those two revelations have to go hand in hand. You can't really live as a son if you think he's some, some uh, slave-driving master that wants you to do whatever. And, and, and once again, you, you can't, you can't uh, see him as father and see yourself as a slave and still operate in that operation. They must go together. Right? I must see myself as a son or a daughter of God, and I must see him as a father. I know this is so simple, but, man, the truth is, is, is sometimes uh, the simple eludes us. So, so watch this. And once again, if that wasn't enough, and, I, man, I, I could talk for hours about this of stuff that I feel like God just opened the doors on. But, but um, because he knows how my brain works, one of the ways he drove this particular point home that he's father was through this. Basically, I felt like I needed to go look at the book of John. And, you know, John was written by John the Beloved. Here's this guy that, that out of all the disciples understood the love of God more than anybody. He's the guy that laid his head on Jesus' chest, so on and whatnot. He wrote, uh, you know, First John, Second John, Third John, deals so much with the love of God. But um, 
I felt like I needed to look and go, okay, when, when, when Jesus was praying or referring to the Father, how many times did he use certain words? So watch this. We'll throw them up there. He used the word Lord, Lord, watch this, zero times. It's in the book of John. Master, zero times. Father, 30, I'm sorry, God, 38 times. Father, 150 times. It's actually over 150 times. Just soak that in for a minute. And, and here's what I felt like. He's like, how do you think I want you to see me? For us that have had bad dads and haven't had a dad, boy, that's hard. We prefer a master. So, you know, if I can even take you back, there's tons to this. But, but even think about the Lord's Prayer. Our, it's really that simple, Right? So another thing that happened, because, because when God begins to really speak to you, stuff begins to happen from different angles. And he, and he uses it to confirm and get your attention and bear witness and all those things. But, but around the same time, I had, I had one of my friends, you know, basically hand me a CD and say, Hey, Quentin, I think, uh, I think you would really, really like this worship leader. And the CD he gave me was one of the first uh, albums that Jonathan David Helser ever put out. And uh, while, while Jonathan, Jonathan, or as they called him, Johnny, has become probably one of my favorite worship leaders. We've sang, I think, a few of his songs through the years. But the thing that changed my life the most about that CD, what my friend had no clue, once again, that, hey, I'm giving this CD, was the last song on the, on the really in a song, but the last song on the end of the CD. Uh, it's basically a prophetic word from a guy named Graham Cook. And, it, and they basically just titled it The Inheritance. And, and I want to play that for you today. Just simply in a second, for us to have this moment, just hear from the Father's heart. But, but I think the thing that, that got me, because there's things that you listen to once. This is something, man, I don't know how many times I've listened to it. I've put it on repeat and just kind of laid on the ground, just sat in a prayer closet, and just let revelation get in me, right? Because when I, when I started playing it, i got to be honest with you. At first, I, I wasn't sure if I believed it. And then the more I played it, what I noticed was is that God began to melt away the hard parts of my heart. Because you can't grow up like I grew up and not be hard in certain areas. And, and I think what happened was, is, man, God began to dissolve the lies of the enemy that I believe. There's no doubt. And I can point even certain parts of what we're about to play. But, you know, orphan thinking began to basically displace the revelation of God's love. Right? In other words, it began to be displaced. I'll just say it like this. And I'll leave it, leave it alone. What happened was, is I began to see myself as the beloved. And, and, and that's when the revelation of those, of the two combined words, be loved. Greatest thing I got from it, be loved. And so it changed the way I viewed myself, it changed the way I viewed God, and it changed the way I even view you folks. Changed the way I view people completely. And so what I want to do for a minute is just, just close your eyes. Guys, that, that does not mean you have permission to go sleep. Um, I know you worked hard this week. But, but, but I want us just to kind of close our eyes for a minute. And, I, and I'm going to tell you, this, is, this has some length to it. And it basically starts off with a, in a worship set. And a guy uh, starts praying and then he starts prophesying. And I just want you to hear the heart of the Lord today. So, Terry, if you can go ahead and play that when, when we get done, uh, we'll pray and we'll wrap this thing up. To be my
says that there is nothing that you can do that would make him love you more. There is also nothing you can do that would make him love you less. He loves you because he loves you, 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 because he loves you. Because that is what he is like. It is his nature to love. And you will always be the beloved. And his love is unchanging. And he loves you 100%. He won't love you any better when you become better. He loves you 100% right now. And even if you have no plans to become better, He will still love you 100%. Because He loves you, because that's the way that He is. And even if you don't want to change, He will love you 100%. Even if you have no plans to walk with Him, He will love you 100%. Because that's His nature. He loves all the way, all the time. His love is unchanging. What will change, says the Lord, is your ability to receive my love. And this evening, I want to cram some more of that ability inside you. So I challenge you, says the Lord, open your heart to me. Open your heart to me. And you will receive more of my love than you've ever experienced before. I dare you, says the Lord. Come on. Open your heart to me. Give me your heart. Give me whatever your obstacle is. I'll take it. I'll remove it out of the way. Because I love you as you are right now. I love you 100% as you are right this moment. I love you as you are. So be loved. You are the beloved. It is your job, says the Lord, to be loved outrageously. It is why I chose you. That is why I set my love upon you. That you would live as one who is outrageously loved. That you would receive a radical love. So radical, it will blow all your paradigms of what you think love is. And no, says the Lord, I will love you outrageously all the days of your life. Because I don't know how to be any different. This is who I am. And this is who I will always be. This is the I am that I promised you. I am he that loves you outrageously. And you may love me back 
with the love that I give you. You may love me back outrageously with the outrageous love that I bestow upon you. And know this, says the Lord, you can only love me as much as you love yourself. So my love comes this evening to set you free from yourself. To set you free from how you see yourself. To set you free from the smallness of your own thinking about yourself. My love comes to set you free from rejection and from shame and from low self-esteem and from despair and from abuse. Because when I look at you, says the Lord, I see something that I love. I see someone that I can love outrageously. And I have so much to bestow upon you, so much to give you, so many places to take you in my heart. But you can't go there unless you allow me to love you. And my love for you will break every barrier, bring every wall crashing down. And know this, says the Lord, my love damages fear. My love hates fear. My love will fight fear. It will fight fear in you. It will fight fear around you. And if you have fear this evening, says the Lord, then know that you have a treat in store. Because my perfect love casts out fear. There is no fear where I am present. Because my love casts out fear. Beloved, you are my beloved. You are my beloved. And in my love, I want you to feel good about yourself. I just want to keep our eyes closed. 
If I can maybe put words to what's happening or what God's desiring to do is really out of Malachi chapter 4. It says this, it says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. In other words, before the Lord comes back, he says this, And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. At least I come and strike the earth with a curse. So today, as we pray, um, just in closing, what happens is, is when is when our heart, as God's kids, begin to connect with the Father, all the curse and all the things that have been released over our lives is broken by that simple revelation. So, Father, today, we just thank you. Thank you, God, for just not only revealing, but God, just firmly uh, planting the revelation in our hearts. God, that we're your kids. God, that we're your beloved. And so, Lord, today, because of that revelation, Lord, we just choose to be loved. God, we choose to not try to jump through the hoops and check the boxes, but, Lord, today, from a position of peace that says that that we're loved, that we're accepted, and that we have a home, God, in your heart, God, we just, uh, we just receive, we position ourselves to be loved. God, that we position ourselves today, God, as your sons and as your daughters. And Lord, today, uh, Father, whatever way that we've seen ourselves over the years, Lord, we pray that every bit of that that doesn't line up with your word is being dissolved in this moment. Father, that every lie is being exposed. And Father, thank you for the truth of your word, God, penetrating every part of our being today. And Lord, we just pray that whatever way that we've wrongly viewed you, Father, that that would dissolve as well. And Lord, that we would see you today as, a, as Papa, as Abba, as Father, as a Daddy that loves us. And so, Lord, today, God, just in our hearts, God, that have been so fortified and uh, so protected, Father, we thank you for walking through every one of those walls And, Lord, we thank you today for releasing your glory and releasing your life and releasing your peace and your joy, God, that comes to the relationship of just knowing you as dad. And so, Lord, today, let every fear be broken off of us. And, God, let our hearts be secure in your love. And, Father, just as as, uh, Jonathan was singing there at the end, Father, we pray today, God, that you would teach us how to love us. God, that you would teach us how to love us. God, that you would teach us how to love ourselves, God, in the same way you love us. And Lord, we just say that it's an honor to to not only receive your love, but to give that same love back to you. And so, Father, thank you for creating in our hearts just that, that divine love, that genuine love and affection for you. God, that we would just be uh, not people, once again, that have to perform and worship, but Lord, children that just get to bask in the glory of their Father. So, Lord, today we just ask, God, that even if there's someone here today that's been far from you, uh, Father, today, just as it says in the prodigal son in Luke 15, Lord, that they would see that they're not that far off. Lord, we pray today, God, that if there's anyone in this room that doesn't know you, that simply in this moment that they would say, Dad, here's my heart. Ask you not just to be their Lord and their Savior, but ask that you would be their dad, their papa, that forgives them and accepts them and says that you have a home with me, you have a place at the table, and you belong. And, Father, for the rest of us, God, that that have lived like that older brother, God, that we would see 
God, that, you know, we don't have to be angry and upset, but, Lord, we simply just have to see that, man, that all that you have has already been given to us. And, Lord, that we would just um, embrace that and walk in that. And so, Lord, today, I just bless your people. Thank you for stepping in, God, to every part of our lives. Thank you for blessing us and changing us and uh, truly bringing us from faith to faith, from glory to glory. Thank you for, God, helping us walk with you and that our hearts would be open to intimacy and just loving you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for encouragement in your walk with God and to receive updates on events happening at The Anchor. Have a great week and God bless.